So Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 67. And today I'm going to do something a little bit different. It is the official school holidays here in New South Wales, Australia. And my husband Andy, who's a school teacher, is home for two weeks. And I find it a little bit difficult to record podcasts when he's home. Our routine changes, we do different things, and it's a little bit difficult to find quiet time all by myself to record my episodes. So what I'm doing is recording a couple of episodes ahead of time. This is the first Saturday of the holidays, and my husband has gone out with my daughter Imogen to his singing lessons. So I've got a couple of free hours and I thought that I would tell a few stories and then make them into episode 67 and 68. So I hope you're going to enjoy these different podcast episodes. Now all the stories have got to do with our lives, so I'm sure they touch on unschooling in some way. I thought I would introduce the story and then read the story out to you. Maybe you will learn a few extra facts about me and my family as you listen to these family stories. The first story that I'd like to tell you is called Locked Out, Locked In and Lies. Usually I tell you stories about my children who are not little anymore. Sometimes I go back and I share memories of times when life was a little bit more hectic. But my youngest daughter is 12 years old, so life around here is quite civilized. But it wasn't always that way. Of course, at one time I had little children, I had babies, and life did get very overwhelming. I had different things to cope with. This story comes from a time when I had four children. I think my eldest at the time was about nine. So here we go. Locked out, locked in, and lies. Hurry, hurry, time to go, I yelled as I herded my three oldest children through the front door. I swung my bag onto my shoulder, scooped up the baby, and grabbed the stroller before slamming the door shut. Four children had been fed, washed and dressed. I grinned. I'd done it. We were off to town, and it wasn't even lunchtime. This was going to be a good day. But where was the van key? There it is, Mum, shouted seven-year-old Duncan, pointing back through the kitchen window. The van key was lying on the table, together with the house keys. They were locked in. We were locked out. We were newcomers to our village, but I'd remembered seeing a phone box outside the post office, which was only a short walk away. Perhaps I could call my husband Andy. Would he come and rescue us? Twenty minutes later, I squeezed into the phone box with the two youngest children and left the older ones outside, watching the people posting letters through the slot in the post office wall. Soon I was explaining my predicament to Andy, who replied, Can't you call a locksmith? I was about to say, Couldn't you come home? But instead yelled, Gotta go! I slammed the phone back on the hook 
and shot out of the phone box. What did you do? How did you manage that? One of Duncan's arms had disappeared inside the rectangular posting slot in the post office wall. He was leaning at an odd angle. I can't get my arm out. His right arm was well and truly locked inside the box. Why did you put your arm in there? I cried, my voice getting higher and louder. I wanted to see if I could touch the letters, sobbed Duncan. You can't touch other people's mail. People will think you're trying to steal the letters. I looked around. Was anyone watching? What was I to do? Duncan's arm couldn't stay inside the post box forever. I decided to go into the post office and beg for help. Stay there, I ordered Duncan as I disappeared into the building with the other three children. My son's got his arm stuck in the post box, I confessed to the postmaster. He didn't waste words. He headed straight outside to have a look. The next moment, he was on the phone to the rescue squad. They're coming at once, he reassured me. They'll soon have your son free. Minutes later, we could hear a siren blaring its way to the village. A huge rescue truck screeched to a halt outside the post office. Another vehicle was hot on its tail. Oh no, the local TV crew were following along behind, hoping for a good story. I could just see it. Caught in the act. Irresponsible mother encourages son to steal the mail. A crowd of people were gathering as the rescue man assessed the situation. We'll soon get your arm free, matey, he smiled. I've got a cutter somewhere in my truck. Duncan gulped. Metal cutter, not arm cutter, he quickly added. Now don't go away. A ferret-faced reporter jumped out of the TV news car and thrust his microphone in front of Duncan's face. Why did you put your arm in the post box? I wanted to see if I could touch the letters. Did your mother let you put your arm in the box? What? She wasn't with you? You were all alone? Unsupervised? Duncan sniffed and nodded. Why did you want to touch the letters? Did you want to take them? Were you stealing them? Out of the way, metal cutters coming through, ordered the rescue man, breaking up the interview. We all stood to one side as he attacked the post box with his huge steel cutters. Crunch! Crunch! Would we have to pay for a new box? I didn't care. My son was free. The news reporter had one more question for Duncan. Would you like to say anything to your rescuer? Duncan shook his head. Not really, came the reply. We'd like to say thank you, wouldn't we, Duncan? I shot my son a dagger look and smiled at our rescuer and prayed the reporter would go away. I was feeling rather worn out. A rescue hero grinned and said, You're welcome. Never rescued anyone from a post box before. This will make a great story. It was a great story, wasn't it? All right, I confess, I lied. That's not the way it happened at all. The postmaster didn't call the rescue squad. The local news team didn't arrive on the scene. That story only happened in my imagination as I stood outside the post office, wondering how on earth we were going to get Duncan's arm free. This is what really happened. I went into the post office, 
The postmaster was standing behind the counter, and I said to him, I'm really sorry. I don't know what possessed my son. He's got his arms stuck in the post box, and I don't know what to do. The postmaster went outside to assess the situation. No problem, he said. See those screws? If I remove them, the metal plate will come away from the box. Then we should be able to get your son's arm free. The postmaster took charge. I gratefully stood to one side while he rescued my son. Moments later, he said, All free. He smiled and added, Don't go putting your arm into any more post boxes. Duncan solemnly assured him that his post box investigating days were over. Once the drama had dissolved, I remembered Andy. I headed back to the phone box. Sorry I had to hang up on you earlier. Duncan got his arm stuck in the post box. It's a long story. You called the locksmith? You're coming home? Oh, you are the best husband in the world. An hour or so later, Andy and the locksmith arrived at our house at the same time. Two minutes later, we were back inside our home. Of course, Andy wanted to hear the full story. You wanted to see if you could touch the letters, he asked Duncan. And could you? No, said Duncan, his face dropping. All that and his fingers hadn't touched a single envelope. Isn't it good to know that once you pop a letter into an Australia post mailbox, it's safe. No one can twist their arm through the slot and steal it. Not even a seven-year-old boy. I really must go and thank Australia Post. That story brings back lots of memories of living with a curious little boy. story is called There's a Dead Body Near Our Running Track. If you are a regular listener of my podcasts, you will know that I'm a runner and so are my four youngest daughters. We enjoy running with our dog, Nora. Just down the road from where we live, about 200 metres away, is a park and surrounding the park is a huge area of bush. And through the bush, there are a number of bush tracks we like to run along these tracks. We have our loops that we like to do. On to the story. There's a dead body near our running track. Someone has died close to the bush track where we run. We can smell the body. It's beginning to rot. As I race between the trees, my nose wrinkles. What a foul odour. Someone in our street is a murderer, I think. Or maybe someone in our street is a victim. Or both could be true. I run through the danger zone, out into fresher air. But the smell hits me again on my next lap along the track. I think, I bet those loud shots we heard on New Year's Eve weren't all fireworks. Someone had a gun. Yes, a big gun. Someone shot the victim, and no one suspects a thing. The murderer thinks he has got away with his deadly crime. He's probably sitting at home with his feet up, feeling secure. You see, nobody knows about the body. Only me. And even I haven't gazed it in the face. I have no idea whether it is male or female. I don't really want to find out. 
I much prefer to keep on running. I am running well. I can't afford to break my rhythm. You see, I am on target for a record distance. What will the police say when they discover the body? I ask myself on my third lap through the crime scene. Will they discover I knew about the body first? They'll see my footprints. They'll track me down. Will they suspect me? Or will they say, "Why didn't you tell us sooner?" Will they understand about rhythms and running and record distances? I run and run and run. I run a record distance, eight whole kilometers. I feel good. The girls are happy too. They've also run a long way. Good work, team! I say as I tip back my bottle and gulp down mouthfuls of water. That was a great run. Pity about the dead body, says Sophie. Yes, what an awful smell, says Gemma Rose. I had to run faster along that part of the track, says Imogen. Dead body? You know about the dead body too? I ask. How could anyone miss it? Asks Charlotte. What a stink! So the dead body is no longer my secret. Five of us know about it. It's there in the bush, alongside the track where we run. We wish it was somewhere else. It smells awful. It's interrupting our rhythm. It's spoiling our runs. What should we do? Perhaps we ought to tell someone about it after all. The police might come and take it away. But what if they rope off the crime scene, draw a dead body shape around the victim, and insist everyone stay far away? We won't be able to run along our track. It will be out of bounds. No, that would never do. What are you thinking about, Mum? Asked Sophie as we stroll back home. The dead body. We look at each other and we giggle. What do you think the smell really is? Asked Gemma Rose. A plant with smelly flowers? No, this smell is far too big for that. Someone has dumped something under the trees, like a dead body. We giggle again. No, like garbage. We could investigate, have a look around. Imogen suggests, but that would mean stopping, breaking our rhythm. No, we couldn't do that. So we still have no idea what's making that terrible smell in our beautiful bush, but it's not a dead body. Oh no, we wouldn't joke about a real dead body. That would be terrible. Funny the things we imagine as we run through the bush. We did actually go back a day or so later, and we went scouting around to see if we could find the source of that smell, and we couldn't find anything. So we still don't know what was making that awful smell in our beautiful bush. This story is called Andy Elvis Presley, and it's a story I think that shows the good humour of my husband. He's willing to give things a go. He doesn't mind if people laugh at him. He's quite ridiculous sometimes. Being able to laugh and have fun with our children has been a wonderful thing. It's drawn us all very close together. I don't think there's anything wrong with parents being ridiculous. We don't always have to look serious. We can have fun with our children. Andy Elvis Presley.
The students at my husband Andy's school are rehearsing for the mid-year concert. Someone says the teachers should do an act too. Let's meet after school and talk about it. Andy is busy with an after-school sports session, so he misses the meeting. The next day, the other teachers can't wait to tell him about the plan. Andy, you're just going to love the idea we came up with. Mrs. W stops to stifle a giggle. We thought we could have. She giggles again. Andy Elvis singing Elvis. She collapses into a fit of laughter, but manages a few last words. What do you think? Andy Elvis singing Elvis. Andy doesn't hesitate. Okay, he says. Okay, what? You mean you'll do it? Yes. So Andy comes home and announces the news to us. I'm going to wear an Elvis costume, and I'll sing blue suede shoes. The other teachers will dance in the background, wearing brightly coloured swinging skirts. I'll have my very own backing group. Wow, you'll be a superstar, Dad. Andy searches the internet for a backing track to blue suede shoes, and before very long, he has the words memorised. He treats us to a preview, and we are suitably impressed. Then one day at school. Andy announces, "I've been practicing singing the Elvis song." Singing? You're going to sing? We only expected you to mime along with a recording. The other teachers are surprised. Andy looks scornful. Mime? No. If I'm going to be Elvis, I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to sing. You can sing? Yes. Can you sing a verse for us? What? Here now? So Andy stands in the doorway of the classroom, grabs his imaginary microphone, curls his lip, and opens his mouth. One for the money, two for the show. Everyone's mouths drop open in astonishment. You can sing, of course he can. You sound like Elvis, of course he does. Andy grins. He has amazed everyone. A few days later. Andy drives to the hire shop to pick up his costume. He is given a voluminous sapphire blue shirt studded with fake jewels. It has a zippered opening. Will it cover your chest? There are huge matching blue flared trousers. Will they stay up? He has a wide leather belt dripping with chains. It looks like you won't need the belt extension. There is a chunky gold chain to wear around his neck. And massive dark sunglasses to hide behind. No one will even know it's you. Finally, a black wig, complete with sideburns. You'll have hair for the first time in years. All Andy needs is a pair of blue suede shoes. The shop assistant looks at her paperwork. We have your name down as Andy, but we need your surname too. It's Elvis. Elvis? No. We need your real surname. My real surname is Elvis. Really? No. The woman raises her eyebrows in disbelief. I'm afraid I'll need to see your driver's license. Andy hands it over. The shop assistant glances at it and cries, "Wow! You are Elvis! I am so excited! Wait till I tell my daughter we had Elvis in the store today. Wow! This will make a good story. She'll never believe me." Andy grins. So Andy returns home with his costume, 
and of course we insist he tries everything on and parade for us. Andy Elvis disappears into his bedroom, and Elvis Presley returns. The girl's eyes open wide. Is this strange, hairy, sunglassed, blue-clad vision their father? For a moment they are too stunned to speak. Then, make sure you don't lift up your arms too high, Dad, otherwise your tummy will show. Your trousers are slipping down. Does that zipper come up any higher? We don't want to see your chest. Can you see through those glasses? They're very dark. You've got hair, lots of it. Andy looks at himself in the mirror and sighs. I'm obviously Elvis Presley in his older, fatter days. No one has any idea what Elvis Presley looked like in his younger or older days. You look great, Dad. Will you sing blue suede shoes for us, Dad? Please? Let's get the camcorder out and record Dad singing. And we must take some photos. So Andy poses. He curls his lip and tries to look hot. Or should that be cool? He can't help smiling. We laugh as we snap away, capturing memories for the album. Then Andy sings as he swivels his hips and points his finger to the sky. Put your arms down, Dad. Your tummy's showing. He quickly pulls down his shirt. Now he's looking cool again. Or maybe just strange. But he sounds magnificent. He is Andy Elvis no longer. He's Elvis Presley. The girls go wild. Dad, you're fantastic. I have to agree. Who else would dress up in such a ridiculous costume? Who else is so much fun? Later, I have an idea. Will Andy, can I? Oh, it is such a wonderful idea. But will Andy think so too? Andy, how would you feel if I wrote a blog post called Andy Elvis Presley? I could add some photos of you in your costume. It would be so amazing. What do you think? Please? Andy doesn't hesitate. He's used to me. Okay. Okay? You don't mind? No. Andy is a true blogger's husband. After the mid-year school concert, Wow, Mr. Elvis, I didn't know you could sing. You sounded just like Elvis. Mr. Elvis, you look just like Elvis. You looked magnificent. My mum likes Elvis. Look, there's Mr. Elvis. He's a superstar. Yes, Elvis is a superstar, and I'm married to him. Andy Elvis, that is. Aren't I a lucky woman? As I said at the beginning of this podcast, Andy is at his singing lesson at the moment with Imogen. They're both having one. Charlotte also has singing lessons. Singing is something that binds our family together. There's nothing I enjoy more than watching my children sing with my husband. Yes, music is a blessing in our lives, and so is a good sense of humour and a husband who doesn't mind if anybody laughs at him. story for today is called A Doctor's Waiting Room Education. I wrote this story when Gemma Rose was seven years old. 
It's always an interesting experience going out in public with an opinionated child who talks very loudly. I'm sure all mothers know what I'm talking about. People around you start listening, and they're quite amused sometimes by what our children say. And what do mothers do? Do we try and keep our children quiet, or do we join in and not worry? It's also a story about how we can learn unexpected things at unexpected times. We can learn a lot just by sitting in a doctor's waiting room. A doctor's waiting room education. We are sitting in the doctor's waiting room. In the corner, a TV is blaring. Sound and images come hurtling towards us. It's impossible to ignore them, and soon we are staring at the screen, watching the morning show. What's that for, Mum? asked Gemma Rose, pointing at a machine on the television screen. Hair removal. Hair removal? You use it to get rid of unwanted hair, like. If you had hairy legs, I whisper. Hairy legs? Gemma Rose shouts. She screws up her face in disgust, and then remembers something. We have a lot of unwanted hair at home. The cats leave it everywhere. For a moment, I sit there thinking about the electrolysis hair removal machine and our long-haired cats. Would it work? Surely they'd complain. My wicked lips start to curl into a smile as I imagine three bald cats. I think the cats will protest, and we can't use that machine on carpets. I explain to Gemma Rose. Oh, now Larry is introducing a fashion expert. Christmas is a very stressful time of year. There's all the shopping to do, and then all those parties to attend. Poor us! The last thing we want to be worried about is choosing the right clothes for the right occasion. So true. Sir、so、Trevor has come on the show to help us with some fashion tips. Thank you, Trevor. A man can't be a fashion expert," protests Gemma Rose indignantly. I glance around to see who's listening. A lot of people are not sure what to wear when the invitation says "smart casual." Yes, we've been worrying about that. Zoe has put together the perfect outfit. A model wriggles away down the red carpet. Skinny red jeans and high heels. I wouldn't wear those. Declares Gemma Rose, screwing up her nose again. Look at those high glitter shoes. We saw some of those in the shop the other day. Could you walk in those, Mum? I don't think I could. Gemma Rose and I smile at the thought of me tottering along. Now an earnest lady is telling us about Mother's Rescue, a multivitamin for exhausted mothers. The woman looks very concerned. She wants to help. I'm a tired mother. I haven't enough energy. Perhaps I need this miraculous pill, but Gemma Rose has other ideas. She's decided that I don't need Mother's Rescue. It's not for me. You don't need anything in a bottle to make you feel less tired, Mum. You have us. We help you with all the work. Is that lady sitting opposite us smiling? Gemma Rose is probably right, and by now we have moved on to Zumba DVDs. We sit mesmerized. As all these superfit people keep time with a strong beat, they're all working hard and sweating profusely. They're all full of energy. They probably eat Mother's Rescue by the handful. 
they all look like they're enjoying themselves immensely. You will burn up a thousand calories from one hour of Zumba, promises a lithe and toned woman. I mentally compare that to the calories I burn up on the exercise bike. Zumba? It's starting to sound good. I start to wonder how much the DVD set costs to buy. You couldn't do that, Mum. Look at all those bare tummies. You couldn't wear those clothes. Yes, the clothes are rather skimpy, revealing smoothed, tanned, toned bodies. Perhaps the hair removal people should get together with the Zumba DVD people. Couldn't we do Zumba in our normal exercise clothes? I asked Gemma Rose. I forget to whisper. Gemma Rose is no longer listening to me. She's staring with wide eyes at the Baywatch babes, bouncing their way across the beach towards the camera. And then Charlie's angels slink across the screen. She opens her mouth. What will she say? Then Maxwell Smart appears. Relief. He asks, Don't you think we should use the cone of silence, boss? Cone of silence? How about a cone of no vision? We're watching a segment about unsuccessful remakes of popular TV series. If they were such a flop, why are we hearing about them again? Then perfectly styled and immaculately made up Kylie tells us who is getting married to whom and who is expecting. How did anyone miss that baby bump? What an education we're getting in the doctor's waiting room. How have we survived up to now without the morning show? But eventually, our heads start to ache. All those flashing pictures and loud music and repetitious ads. When's it our turn? asked Gemma Rose, beginning to fidget. The doctor's taking an awfully long time. She's lost interest in the TV. Finally, her name is called, and we are ushered into the doctor's surgery. We learn Gemma Rose has a bad case of eczema on her face. We also learn the doctor has yet to learn what is causing it. We walk home. We're exhausted. We're at the doctor's a long time, but it was worth it. We are clutching a tube of magic eczema-fixing cream. Soon Gemma Rose will no longer have an itchy face. I think about that hour we spent in the waiting room, chatting to an opinionative seven-year-old with a loud voice and expressive features can cause people to prick up their ears. They listen and stare. Do I care? No. Gemma Rose and I had fun discussing all that nonsense from the morning show. Yes, we laughed and talked and pulled silly faces together as we learnt lots of useless stuff. Or was it useless? Was all that time in the waiting room a total waste of time? Or did we receive an unexpected education? We now know that the $2,800 electrolysis machine won't solve our unwanted cat hair problem. I learnt that if I didn't have so many children, I would have to rely on Mother's Rescue multivitamin tablets to get me through each day. Thanks to Trevor, we have become fashion experts, and we are now hoping we won't get invited to any smart, casual Christmas parties, because none of us have tight, skinny, red jeans. And the Zumba? Sounds like fun. But will I need Mother's Rescue to give me the necessary energy? Or will it be easy because I have lots of children?
Yes, everything in life is a potential learning experience. Even the morning show in a crowded doctor's waiting room on a Tuesday morning. Yes, I think that the longer we are mothers, the less we worry about what other people think about us and our children. So I hope you have enjoyed this episode of my podcast. I hope you have liked the stories that I have told you. You can find those stories and a whole lot more on my blogs, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and out of my Catholic mind. Yeah, I took a few stories from that blog, which you probably haven't heard before. Well, at least I hope so. If you would like to read the originals of those stories, I'll put the links in the show notes for this episode on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. You can find me all around the internet on iTunes, Podbean, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, I have a personal timeline and and a few people do follow me there. If you would like to write a review for this podcast, you can do that on iTunes. And if you'd like to leave me a comment about this episode or anything else, perhaps you would just like to stop by and say hello, please feel welcome to go over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. You can also find me on Amazon. I haven't mentioned my children's novel for quite some time. It's called The Angels of Abbey Creek. The other day, as we were driving to town, we were discussing a particularly interesting person that we know. And I said, perhaps that person would make a great character for a novel. And Imogen said, I wonder if anybody will ever put us into a novel. While I was thinking about that, Imogen then came back with, Oh, yeah, wait! Somebody already has. It did take me another couple of seconds to realize that the person who had put our family into a novel was me. Yes, my novel, The Angels of Abbey Creek, contained quite a few of our family's stories. They're not all perfectly true. Some of them I've modified slightly, given them different endings. But many of the stories in my book started life as family stories. So if you are interested in reading my book, you can find that, as I said, on Amazon. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. I'd just like to thank you for listening to this episode, listening to my stories, and I hope that I'll be back next week with episode 68, which will be another story episode. So until then, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.